Illithids have haunted the minds of players and DMs alike since 1975 when they first appeared in Gary Gygax's Strategic Review newsletter. Since that time, they have appeared in every edition of D&D, from OD&D to 5th edition. So this week, we're talking about Mind Flayers on the Dungeon Master's Dojo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters, as well as experienced and new players alike. We hope to bring you the tools needed to not only be a great GM, but to help you develop as a player. I'm your host, Louis Aponte. Our stars of the show are Scott Labby and Bill Robotile. Let's enter the dojo and see what both Bill and Scott have in store for us today. Scott, Bill, how you guys doing this evening? I'm eating brains. Brains. Wrapping my tentacles around there. I'd, I'd eat your brain, too. Well, okay. I'd be hungry in an hour. So I guess we're <laughs> talking mind planes because you guys are scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> oh, mind flares. Yeah, I love these critters. They are perhaps one of the most, next to the beholders, uh, and maybe I dare say the gelatinous cube, they're perhaps the most iconic Dungeons & Dragons monster ever. I would agree. Uh, even people who don't play Dungeons and Drankers look at it and goes, "Oh man, that's one of those things that eats yep. your brains and and messes with your head." And they're 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 the boss's boss. They are indeed. They're, and anything less than that would be a tragic waste of the awesomeness of the Illithid. I, I think really they can only be the boss's boss. Yes. Yeah. There's there's no underling Illithids. No. No. <laughs> not at all. Well, let's get right into it. Let's let's, uh, let's do this. Let's do this. The uh, fifth edition D and D doesn't give a lot of information on mind flares or, or any other monsters for that matter. No, it, some of the previous editions did a little better, but a even lot. St- you know, you still had to do some some piece work to kind of get everything together. Yeah. Well, uh, back in the old days of A D and D and uh, second edition. You had that, you know, you could look forward to the monthly edition of Dragon Magazine or Dungeon or, um, what was it, White Dwarf? Was that uh, the other one? The other one, uh, another episode, another um, periodical that was put out by the RPGA, the Role Playing Gaming Association, was called the Polyhedron. Yeah. And you'd, you'd see a lot of stuff in there as well. And they kind of, they kind of beefed up. The, the monsters a little bit as far as lore is concerned. Fleshed them out. Yeah, Fleshed you, them really, out. Yep. you really got a lot out of them. So Let, let's go over what we put together. Uh, for let's, let, let's do it through a lot of research. <laughs> We're talking illithids, or more commonly known uh, as mind flayers. These guys are uh, tall, slender humanoids of roughly human shape. I always kind of think of um, Saruman the White with like a squid head. <laughs> um, yeah, you know yeah. that's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of figure that they cut. Um, but this is where the similarities to humans and other races of the realms really ends. Their head is grotesque and octopus-like, with four and sometimes even six ever-moving tentacles where its mouth should be. The hands of an illithid have three fingers and a thumb. They're slender and arthritic in appearance, with these big bulging joints. The fingers end in long, claw-like nails. 
the feet of a mind flayer have but two toes, and these are webbed. This is a remnant to their amphibious past. Their flesh is pale and mauve-colored and slick with a glistening mucus. Yeah, mucus. Mm. The eyes are pale white orbs that appear blind but are actually quite capable of sight. And these eyes are set beneath a, a prominent brow ridge. That's a kind of horrific picture. Yeah, uh, that 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 cuts an impressive an impressive figure. Uh, something out of like a Sam Raimi horror movie, you know, or an H.P. Lovecraft short story in a pulp magazine. <laughs> Very much so. Well, the, the internal anatomy of a mind flare is similar to whatever their host species was. Uh, mind flares have a heart, lung, intestines, all the bits and pieces, um, and they're usually in the same spots uh, in recognizable locales. The mind flares do not reproduce in the same fashion that humans, elves, and orcs do, or any other humanoid species for that matter. I may have the parts, but uh, they do it differently. Rather than produce new mind flares through a process called seromorphosis, this process relies on a host body. The process of seromorphosis does, however, alter the body's nervous system. The nervous system in an elephant is more complex and really advanced, much more than any other human race. Unlike your eye, the elephant's nervous system function as a giant brain throughout its whole body. When a mind flare consumes food, the digestive process differs from yours and mine. Uh, when we consume, consume food, it passes through our very simple digestive system where nutrients are extracted and sent throughout the body. When a mind flare consumes food, the process passes through what can best be described as a thinking, self-aware digestive system. They scavenge enzymes, hormones, uh, perhaps more importantly, the psychic energy of whatever was consumed. This has a great deal to do with the mind flare being known for its consumption of brains of its victims. Of course, brains are not the only food the mind flares consume, though. Mind flares will consume other meats and fungi. Uh, internal organs are close seconds to brains and often preferred over most other forms of food. Yeah, so what you're saying, Bill, is if an illithid invites you out to dinner, uh, don't go because it's it's going to suck. If he says we're eating in, run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's perhaps the most prominent physical feature on a mind flare are the tentacles that surround its mouth. These tentacles can be anywhere from two to four feet in length, and there are oftentimes four of them. Though in some mind flares, it could be up to six. When at rest or not excited, these tentacles seem much shorter. These tentacles are in an almost constant motion, writhing as though they are snakes, totally independent of the illithid's body. The illithid uses these tentacles as additional hands and are used in communication as well, much in the same way that you or I not only speak with our voice but with our hands as well. These tentacles are known to be equally as strong as the rest of the illithid, their grip being just as powerful, if not more so, than the grip of an illithid's hands or arms. So when they wrap themselves around you, watch out. It's time for that opposed grapple. Mm. <laughs> the cluster tentacles surround a mouth that is circular without a jaw, much like a lamprey's. Uh, inside this mouth are rows of small teeth. These teeth are used to grab hold of a victim. Teeth do not bite, as teeth would normally do, or would you think. They merely secure the mouth to the skull. Uh, the tentacles then drip a powerful corrosive solution that dissolves the scalp and the skull, making it appear as though the tentacles are crushing the head of the victim when, in fact, the scalp and skull have been dissolved. The mouth is then free to slurp up the brains. It's a particularly chilling sight to see a mind flare devour brain of its victim. 
The mind flayer will stun its victim with a psionic attack, rendering them motionless but very much aware of what's going on. The tentacles will wrap around the head, draw the head towards the mouth. The ring of circular teeth will then penetrate the scalp and hold the head in place as these enzymes emitted from the tentacles begin to slowly dissolve the scalp and skull of the victim, eventually causing it to cave under the strength of the tentacles and pushing the brain into the awaiting mouth of the mind flare. What an awesome opportunity to be really descriptive of this chilling act at the table. You know, Human Slurpee. Yeah, it just, the whole thing, you know, absolutely terrifying. I can just imagine the, uh, hopefully it's an NPC and not a PC <laughs> that this happens to, um, but that kind of silent scream. Yes. You know, the mouth just, just opened and uttering nothing at all in the eyes with that surprised the, look. The just face slowly caving in. Absolutely yes. horrific. It's no wonder why they're so widely feared. Uh, really, when you look at it, mm-hmm. uh, the mere mention of an illithid would send chills down the spine of even the bravest of adventurers. The eyes of the illithid are these white milky orbs without a pupil that suggests a blindness since why wouldn't it? They live in dark places, subterranean caverns, holes, and places that only the bravest or, or most foolhardy would dare venture. This is not the case, however. They see quite well. The Mind Flayer sees dark vision up to 60 feet. Not bad. Not bad at all. Their hearing is not as keen as that of a human or a demi-human, but it still serves them pretty well. They can determine the direction a sound is coming from, though they do have difficulty discerning certain portions of some sounds. Let's, uh, let's talk about the birds and bees a little bit, Bill. How about that? Let's, mm, jiggly bits. Yeah, and uh, can you imagine the, the conversation between a mommy and daddy <laughs> uh, illithid it, with their teenage illithid? Yeah. <laughs> Billy. Yes, yeah. yeah, Scott. <laughs> I have a When qu- a boy illithid loves a girl, girl illithid, illithid. <laughs> he spontaneous cha- spontaneously changes sex and gives birth to uh, uh, several eggs and tadpoles. That's generally how it goes. Illithid reproduction is equally as horrifying as their feeding habits. Why would it be otherwise, right? True. An illithid is an amphibious life form, though its time spent in an aquatic environment is relatively short compared to the rest of its life cycle. Illithids are hermaphroditic. Adults will spawn approximately two to three times during their lifespan. Kind of like being married. (laughs) Well, in your case, I was just about to say the same thing. And will lay approximately a 1,000 eggs each time. These eggs will be laid in a murky pool, specifically designed for the purpose of raising young. After about a month, the eggs will hatch and will release what can best be described as as a tadpole. 1,000 tadpoles. Can you imagine the child support on that? Huh? You're going to have to work extra. See, I, I'm still married to the same woman. I don't have to imagine that. <laughs> same here. <laughs> okay. These tadpoles will spend approximately 10 years in this pool and are fed a vile mash of uh, brain matter and internal organs. Uh, throughout the 10 years that they spend in this pool, they will be attended by nursery attendants. The tadpoles perform a dual function. They are both the newest generation of mind flayers, and they are also food for the other occupant of the nursery pool, this occupant being the elder brain. The 10 years that the tadpole lives in this pool is akin to a vetting process. Those that survive, not being devoured by the elder brain, are deemed to be fittest specimens of the pool and the best offered to the next generation of mind flayers. Mind flayers do not grow in their own bodies as we and other humanoids do. 
They're more akin to a parasitic infection and a host body and anything else. Those tadpoles that are deemed to be most fit are soon prepared for seromorphosis. Seromorphosis is the process by which a mature tadpole is introduced into the ear, nostril, or eye of the host body. <laughs> yeah, if you really if, watch Rathacon, poor Chekhov. <laughs> they got him. Tragically and, and quite savagely, these hosts are often unwilling participants of the process. They're held motionless and helpless by the psionic ability of the illithid. Once introduced into one of these locales, the tadpole will burrow into the host's brain, devouring the gray matter and growing in size. This is a process that usually takes several days. When complete, the host's brain is completely gone, and the tadpole is all that remains. Thick and bloated, occupying the cavity of the host's skull, much like their brain once did. At this time, the tadpole has effectively melded on a neurological level with what remains of the host's brain stem, taking complete control over the nervous system and the body. The host is dead. Everything they once were, their thoughts, feelings, memories, all gone, but the body lives on. After about a week, the process is complete, and the parasitic tadpole is now the brain. Reversing this process is nearly impossible. Uh, wow, that's um, uh, it's a lot to digest. Yeah. <laughs> It's a uh, it's a lot sloppier than the reproduction I'm used to. <laughs> a lot more intrusive. Uh, yeah, just I I can't say anything at this point because um, there are there's the potential of young people listening to this and any comment I made from this point forward will just we do have an explicit warning. Well, on some of them, we're going to keep this one or try to keep it G rated. Uh, we are I'm testing you guys. Ooh. We're going to have to Disney this up. <laughs> Only certain races will be used by the mind flayers for seromorphosis, though. Humanoid mammals between five and a half feet and just over six feet are what is preferred. Humans, elves, drow, and other such humanoids are eligible. Anyone smaller is not available to act as a host, but don't worry. The mind flayers have a job for you. They'll be relegated to the role of a thrall or slave. Once seromorphosis is complete... Nothing remains of the host. Whatever race it was before, the process is now unrecognizable. Instead, its tissues have all been replaced. The skin color is irreversibly changed, and the facial features have given away to tentacles and great white orb-like eyes, all of which are hallmarks of the mind flare. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. I need another Slurpee. <laughs> hey there. It's DM Scott. That's right. I'm talking to you. Yeah, you, the chubby guy wearing the This Is How I Roll t-shirt. Why don't you ditch that ratty old t-shirt that's two sizes too small for you? Where'd you get that? Baby Gap? Head on over to our Merchant Morris store on our epic new website. Grab yourself some Dungeon Masters Dojo logo wear. You won't regret it. Rock that t-shirt like the nerd boss you are. It's sleek and it's black, and everyone knows that black is slimming. Hell, I look like a slender 3XL when I'm wearing this black shirt. Not only will you look deceptively less chunky, but with that bold red and white logo, you look like a superhero. And who doesn't want to look like a superhero? So head on over to the DungeonMastersDojo.com merchant more to fill your bag with our swag. See you next time in the dojo. And we're and back. We are. Slurpees in hand. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. There's uh, brain matter slurpees. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more to talk about. We're rolling along at a pretty good clip. Let's uh, let's get into it. So the next part, why don't you tell us about the illithid mind? Uh, the psychology of the illithid. Uh, to the casual observer, a mind flare will appear somewhat dispassionate, devoid of all emotion, but nothing can be further from the truth. The mind flare experiences a wider range of emotions, but the manner in which these emotions manifest themselves is nothing short of alien. Unlike other races, the mind flayer does not experience happiness, and as such, they do not make plans to secure happiness. This is a concept that is totally unknown to them. Rather, the emotions of a mind flayer are negative. These negative emotions are the same as any other race's uh, negative emotions, but what makes them different is the total absence of any positive emotions, such as joy, happiness, pleasure. The closest a mind flayer can get to happiness is the consumption of a brain, and even then it is questionable as to whether or not this is really true happiness. This roster of negative emotions that the mind flayer experiences, anger, envy, pride, fear, and all other manner of emotions that drive us towards doing, well, the unspeakable, these negative emotions permeate the very being of the mind flayer, and this is what drives their actions. Let's talk about some variations. Uh, first off, the uh, illithid sorcerers. Uh, so wide, there are wide variations among the mind flayers. Uh, it's believed that those few individuals who have studied the creatures, um, that is due to the process of seromorphosis. With so many variations in host bodies, it's not, not too inconceivable that mutations would occur during that process. One such mutation is the sorcerer. Uh, the mind flare possesses a genius-level intellect, so it's not too surprising that it would occasionally produce a sorcerer, especially when the host body may manifest uh, inherent magical abilities. Uh, the combination of psionic ability and sorceress talent might make these mind flares even more fearsome than they already are, so much so that they're oftentimes shunned by the others of even their own species. Almost entirely indistinguishable from another mind flare, the ulitherids are abnormally tall, standing well over seven feet and sometimes reaching heights of up to eight feet. These ulitherids are yet another variation of the mind flares. These are the individuals that have six tentacles surrounding their mouth and not four, like the rest of the mind flare population. The birth of a ulitherid is very seen very differently than the birth of a, a mind flayer or sorcerer. Such an occurrence is a cause for celebration, as ulithrids are incredibly rare. And ulithrid is unidentifiable until the process of seromorphosis occurs. So their, their tadpoles look exactly like the other tadpoles uh, swimming around the pool. Only after the occurrence of seromorphosis do they become recognizable as what they truly are. Since... These such creatures will occupy positions of prominence uh, within the colony, generally becoming leaders of some sort, whether it be militarily or otherwise. The Ulitherid's lifespan is twice as long as that of the other mind flayers, so they're, they're pretty long-lived. Um, i got to think with an elder brain in there chomping on everything um, and sucking the psychic energy from the tadpoles and things like that, uh, there's... Thousands of them in there already, and only a few survive. I can see how these would be very, very rare. Yeah. How many poor Ulitherids are being eaten every day by the Elder Brain? Only the Elder Brain can answer that question that for you. That is true. Save the Ulitherids. <laughs> 
why don't you, uh, speaking of the elder brain, why don't you fill in his, fill us in a little bit on the elder brain? Well, the elder brain occupies the center of every large mind flayer community. Sitting in the center of the community is a deep pool of briny, fetid murk. And in that is the elder brain. No one is really certain how the elder brain comes to be, but it is ageless. Uh, once it is, it simply does not end. The elder brain does not grow old and die. It's forever. An elder brain appears as a large, shapeless, massive tissue that pulsates, wiggles, and writhes at the bottom of the pool. Pretty gross. When a mind flayer uh, dies, its brain is removed and cast into the pool that the elder brain occupies. It is the sum of all the brains cast into the pool that makes up the elder brain itself. One would assume that with a constant supply of brains being cast into the pool that the elder brain would be able to obtain massive sizes, but this isn't the case. They, they only cap out at between 8 and f- 10 feet in diameter, regardless of how many brains they absorb. The individual personalities associated with the brains that are cast into the pool don't appear to survive. They're gone. They are absorbed by the intellect of the elder brain and become one with it. It's almost like uh, another form of seromorphosis when you look at it. Mm, and almost in reverse. Yeah. And no one is really certain how such a creature functions, but what it is known is that it is super intelligent. And even the potent psionic ability of the mind flayers themselves cannot even begin to penetrate the first few layers of the elder brain's intellect. Hmm. In addition to being a physical being, the elder brain is also a psychic entity absorbing psychic energy from the tadpoles that surround it, devouring them until only an oily residue remains sinking to the bottom of the briny pool. Hmm. The telepathic range of the elder brain is as far as 350 feet in any direction. Each elder brain having their own unique abilities in addition to telepathy. Within this range, the elder brain is completely aware of everything going on around it. It makes it nearly impossible for anyone or anything to infiltrate the mind flare community without them knowing long before they get to the door. The elder brain can communicate with individual mind flares within that 350 feet, but is also capable of communicating via something uh, only to be described as like a daisy chain. They can communicate with the mind flare within 350 feet and then communicate with others outside of that radius using the mind of the other as something of a waypoint. They skip from one to the next to the next. Our brain is aware of everything because of that. The mind flares are almost exclusively lawful alignments most frequently lawful evil. Throughout the life of the elder brain, its power grows continuously and seemingly without a cap to its power. Many mind flayers believe, believe that there is a purpose behind the elder brain, that there is a greater plan and yet is to be revealed to them. Who knows it? Through the prospect of such a grand plan, an incredibly disturbing uh, circumstance for you or I or anyone else, it does not bode well for them. It is believed amongst the mind flayers that once their brain is cast into the pool, that they will live on forever. This is not the case at all. For the elder brain absorbs the knowledge contained within the mind flayer's brain when any all individuality is gone forever. Simply put, they just don't live on. 
The elder brain is an absolute ruler of whatever community they occupy, and their dictates are followed to the letter. Well, the uh, it's got kind of a 1984 Big Brother vibe to it, huh? <laughs> the brain knows. Yeah. I'm almost picturing a, a Harryhausen brain pulsing in the corner with you know, these little tendrils wrapped around it and lashing out at the, the, the heroes coming into the room. Do you ever wonder what a mind flayer sounds like when it's speaking? Uh, I never want to get that close to find out. I, I bet it sounds a lot like French. You know, it's it's just smooth and, and you know, you could close your eyes. Oh, no yeah. matter what they're saying, it sounds great. Oh, at least that's what they're going to make you think you hear. Yep. (laughs) Mind flayers have no language. They communicate telepathically. Their thoughts are shared with other mind flayers, and thus there's no need for a language. These telepathic messages are accentuated by the subtle movements of their tentacles, much in the same way that body language amongst you or I lend to the effectiveness of our communication. As a mind flayer gains maturity, they are capable of communicating with multiple minds simultaneously. Many mind flayers speak multiple languages, but they do so only when the spoken word is necessary among them. So these languages are undercommon and infernal. Mind flayers have an aversion towards speaking aloud and avoid it unless it's absolutely necessary. Mind flayers do have a written language known as quaileth. And that has no spoken form. Quaileth appears as a series of parallel lines of four, including spaces and raised dashes. Reading Quaileth is much like reading Braille. It requires touch to do so. Quaileth has been described by scholars as nearly impossible for non-mind flayers to grasp. Hmm. Knowledge is the greatest commodity. Darkness is the greatest illumination. The mind is the greatest power, and the illithids are the greatest of races. This is the central tenet of the Mind Flayer's religion. Unlike most other religions, there is no concern for the afterlife for Mind Flayers. It doesn't believe in the afterlife. They know when they die, they'll become one with the Elder Brain and live on. The Mind Flayer deity is Illsense. It resides in a cavern of thought in a place known as the concordance domain of the outlands. It has no physical form. It is a thought in shape and a massive pulsing brain. Tentacle-like ganglia extend outward from it, reaching towards all areas of existence. Its ganglia tap into the knowledge that exists. They are within the minds of the greatest of intellects and will pluck fading memories and thoughts from another making it its own. Mind flayers do not worship in the same manner that you or I do. They revere their God because of its intellectual capabilities. Illsense represents what the perfect elder brain would be. Mind flayers are incapable of reverence, joy from worship, or any of those other emotions that we normally get from, from a day of worship. Rather, what they do is they envy Illsense's all-knowing and vast reach. Mind flayers do have a clergy. Their clerics live a monastic lifestyle not unlike the clerics of other religions. They strive for greater knowledge and work to develop their psionic abilities. They are not shunned like the sorcerers or mistrusted like wizards are, but they do not, as a rule, mix with regular mind flayer society, choosing rather to remain within the confines of their temples, 
conducting important experiments and ceremonies in their quest for knowledge. Well, it's nice to see that there's at least a little normalcy in their life. Yeah, confession at a Mind Flayer church must be a really interesting thing. I'm sure it involves tentacles and... Well, there's no spoken word, so I'm sure it goes pretty quickly. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some of their goals. The goal of every Mind Flayer community is the society as a whole and its command of absolute power over the universe. This goal is greater than any other races on the world, or any other world. For even the most goal-oriented individual, world domination is most what they dare to aspire to. These goals are perhaps made more tangible by the elder brains, who have an uncanny ability to see the big picture. They are long-lived creatures and can take their time to plan, sometimes laying up plans that take several lifetimes. Most often, the mind flayers don't even know why they are commanded or what they do, or how they do it. It is not their place to question such things. It is their place to do as instructed. Playing the long game is what mind flayers do best, and they are not beneath using spies or other individuals to assist them in furthering their goals. Mind flayers take a strange approach towards political affairs, and more specifically, they're meddling in such affairs. They'll make efforts to disrupt the politics of surface governments and empires, not because they see them as a threat or rather to conduct an experiment to see how such political entities behave in certain situations. This affords them knowledge to effectively predict how something will behave in the future. What do you think? They're all about the long game. They definitely do way more planning than I do. I was going to say, we plan out a year, but I don't a couple lifetimes. Yeah, that's that's patience. They probably have a really big whiteboard. <laughs> Mental whiteboard. Yeah, the, the elder brain is kind of like a pissed off executive in the boardroom uh, with an intern standing at the whiteboard. Um, Jot this down. Yeah, better not screw up his coffee. <laughs> okay. Let's uh let's get into some of some of the areas they may they, they live in. Yeah. Illithid City. Yeah, where do they live? Where do they live? They live in cities, of course. Uh, very few people have seen a Mind Flayer city and lived to tell the tale. Uh, I can't imagine why anybody would want to go there. It seems like a very hostile place. I bet you it's really clean, though. Well, I hear they have really good food trucks. They do. They're all over the place down there. You get a mean... Oh, I'm sorry, Fantasy World. Food food carts. Food carts, yep. Uh, sausage, peppers, and onions. Man, you haven't lived until you've had a Mind Flayer sausage, peppers, and onions. Don't ask what the sausage is made of. Never. Never ask. Uh, what is known about a mind flayer city is that it could be above ground or, or underground. It's usually identified by its tall towers that are seemingly grown from the stone itself. There'll be no ground level entrances for the mind flayers. Um, they want to protect themselves, uh, so they craft their entrances to their to- towers too high up for any terrestrial creature to easily enter. You got to make your you got to make your climb check to get up there if you want to get into a Mind Flayer tower. These guys will use their psionic abilities to fly themselves up to and from the various towers in the city. So you can imagine how creepy it must look standing on the outskirts of a, a Mind Flayer city and seeing a bunch of floating bodies all over the place. Mommy, going to mommy, it's a bird. It's yeah. a plane. It's a squid. Yeah, the flying squid people. 
On the outskirts of these cities, you'll find farms for food, uh, tended to by thralls. Uh, these food farms hold cattle and a fresh supply of sentient brains. The taste for brains cannot be satisfied in most cases by what the mind flayers breed in their own farms. These brains, which are far too slow. Humans, orcs, half-orcs, which are far too slow at a rate and elves even slower. This would require an excessively large number of slaves and thralls for each mind flayer to consume. The one brain a day they need. While the brains of the thralls satisfy a need, they are not as desirable as the brains that has been broken. Certainly, there is a rare and unfortunate intruder that may be captured and consumed, but this is still not enough. Because of this, Mind Flayers communities will often mount highly aggressive raids, the sole purpose of gathering fresh brains for their consumption. Such raids can be deduct- conducted either in a subterranean realm or on the surface. Surface raids often produce most desirable outcomes, as there is a tremendous amount of warm-blooded humanoid races available for abduction. This service also provides delicacies in the form of fairy creatures, which can be very hard to come by in the subterranean realms. Not many fairies underground, I guess, you know, or no, nymphs or dryads. No, they're uh, apparently much brighter than the rest of the races when it comes to they're, this. You suppose their brains are like caviar? You know, them fancy fish eggs that you get in those expensive uh, I'm restaurants? I'm thinking more like the, the bite-sized candies you get during Halloween. Yeah, or those little chickens. What are they called? Capons? Yeah. Cornish game hens? Yeah, you know, the one-bite jobs there. Yeah, um, yeah, Cornish game hens. Just picture it with a wand. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows where uh, where Mind Flayers came from. Uh, not even the Mind Flayers. Whatever world you're on, it's safe to assume that it is not the home world of a Mind Flayer, but it's probably got some. It is said that they are not of any known world and that they have been traveling the plains for such a long, long time that not even they know what world they originated from. What is certain is that they are forever on the search for new worlds to conquer. There's brains to be had. Brains to be had. They will send out astral projections of themselves to new worlds, inserting themselves within those worlds and establishing at first a small base of operations, and it'll begin to grow. More mind flayers will will come out of the pool, and eventually you'll have yourself a, a mind flayer community on this new world. And the goal, of course, behind that is to conquer that world. It is said that long ago, the Mind Flayer civilization, wherever it was that it started, was the victim of a massive psychic detonation that proved cataclysmic for their civilization. Some suggest that it threw them back eons in time. So maybe they're from the future. Mm. Many elder brains hypothesize that if such an occurrence could have happened to destroy their civilization, then a similar psychic... A detonation could easily extinguish the sun of a planet, affording them the opportunity to leave their subterranean realms and conquer the surface as well. Um, for a really brilliant race, detonating a sun would leave things a little cold, don't you think? Yeah, I I think they just kind of, I don't know, turn the lights down a little bit. Yeah, maybe instead of detonating it, maybe just blow the moon up to kind of add some more shade. Yeah, Draw the blinds. Yeah. You know, add a little ambiance. Well, I guess one thing about what I would like to know is, how would you guys use these in a game? Wow. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I can tell you how I've used one in the past. Yeah. Let's oh, hear it. All right. So I ran a, a small campaign, like I said, a, a, quite some time back. And what I was... I basically had a cult starting up. 
and they were everything wrapped around an oracle. And you had to be selected. You had to be one of the chosen. Went through a small vetting process, uh, coin often they exchanged hands, but not always. Uh, if you had a, a, a very deep-seated emotion that, that was bubbling to the surface and, and you, you needed to talk to the oracle, you're oftenly granted um, an audience, which you went and were whisked away to see the oracle. Unfortunately, you were never seen again after that. And it was said that the individual was given the enlightenment they needed and was allowed to move on, and resources were given to them, and they were heading off into the world to take care of the problem that they went to the oracle about. Uh, in reality, um, the oracle was Nilithid and had in a faction of people in the city that decided it was better to help the Illithid than be eaten by the Illithid. So they were the ones out there looking for people and things. And the way I got the uh, the player characters involved was that one of the governors in, t- in the city, his son paid a handsome sum to see the oracle about something and then uh, obviously disappeared because uh, his brains were sucked out. The father gathered some people up, go find my son. This went on for probably about, I think it was uh, about a year and a half campaign where I had them dancing through hoops and going around before they finally got close enough to realize that it it, it was the Oracle itself and they finally managed to sneak their way in in a little combat. And and lo and behold, they they come up up upon a high back chair and as they came around it and drew their weapons, there was this horribly ugly, monstrous, tentacled being sitting in the chair. And they heard laughing in their heads and the battle ensued. It didn't go well for them. They're evil. Yes, I am. I would, um, I would probably plot out a campaign that would would go about a year of our Mondays, you know, and and they would it would start off as a seemingly benign uh, adventure, you know, go go do this, you know, like just a simple fetch quest, and uh, they would go to retrieve someone who was maybe missing in the mountains, a hunter out hunting or checking his traps or whatever. And they would stumble upon upon something like a, I don't know, like a, an illithid nautilus or nautili or whatever the spell jammer ship is called. <laughs> That's really, really old. You know, kind of a la uh, alien. See a few skeletons and in, in the whatnot that looked a little bit a little bit different than than what they were used to seeing, and start happening upon maybe some villages or the whatnot that were at one time uh, populated, but now no longer are. No signs of, of, of any struggle or attack or whatever have you. Basically, their brains have all been, been eaten. And eventually, they would, they would find their way as, as they, they level up uh, to an Illithid or an, an Illithid uh, establishment of, of you know, relatively, relatively young establishment, not, not something as grand and sweeping as as you would find in the um, in the underdark, but that big bad would be you know the boss's boss, that illithid that's uh, the surviving member of the the crash that is starting to um, establish a hold on whatever campaign setting it is that you're you're playing it, and uh, work it from there. You know the big reveal at 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 the end of that that year when they have some uh, some levels under their belt. Now, did you would you do like I did and leave? 
only one survivor to run back and tell everyone what what really happened? I, I'm not as mean as you. Um, Your dice are not as mean. My dice are also not as mean. So chances are good everybody would do well except for my big bad guy. <laughs> Unless I got my hands on some loaded dice. So if, if anybody knows where I can, email me. But that, that's pretty much how, how, I would, uh, how I would use them. And I, I think when you're, you're running in, in Illithid, you have to think in a, a certain way. You almost have to step outside of your, your own head. You know, there's not going to mm-hmm. be any mercy. No, yeah, there, there's absolutely no compassion. There, there's no quarter. Illithid sees everything other than other Illithid as a resource, whether it's menial control them make them do things for you or dinner yeah they're that kid with a uh, magnifying glass torching ants on the sidewalk mm-hmm. you know they're laying out that snickers bar to watch them come and and uh but without without, but without the the cackling and the, the just a blank dead pan sear burn sear burn yeah sear, burn. and i would i would definitely go with that you know that that soundless scream in those that startled uh, expression on the face and those uh, eyes wide with terror. I'd I'd have to really bring out my like inner horror movie, you know, for stuff like that because they, oh, yeah. they are the villains of a horror film. Oh, the quintessential villain of the horror film, where where yeah. none of the none of the the main characters survive. Right. Yeah. Uh, everyone's going to die, and only the creature remains. And then the future of everything left in the area is left in question because after the hour and a half program you just watched, the heroes all died, and the bad guy's still there. Yeah, you gotta you gotta kill the uh, you gotta kill the fat PC first because that's how it goes in horror movies. <laughs> That's like whenever I hear whenever I hear a, a a noise out in the dark, I never go because usually usually the fat guys are the first ones to get it. You know, I don't want to catch an axe or or be uh, beaten by something. Are you trying to say you you are not as stealthy as a gazelle? I well, it depends on the situation. I think a rhino has a little bit more a stealth. Rhino. I can move at a high rate of speed when uh, self-preservation is necessary. Yeah, but only one direction. You take that's a corner, you're going down. That's <laughs> it. That's all I need. If something's in the way, I'm going through it. But that's how I would use them in in horror movie fashion, and I would yes. embrace all of the cliches too. All and this is where Everything. that 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 the background music with the screeching violin, yeah, and and or the soft slow you know cello doing that you know it, you you need all that if you had that background music going along with these kind of descriptions and embrace the the full you know 70s 80s horror genre while pulling these things out and be merciless be merciless yeah if if they can't handle it turn and run yeah and that um, that description is everything too you know yeah. it, it coming out of the dark at you but it's not walking you know it's right. floating there's a glide yeah, and and all the robes kind of trailing behind it. So this would be good some, for something to um, end your year on, like Halloween. Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah. a great like Halloween game ender. It would be, I I think it would be really fun to run. May not be as fun for the player characters if they're really emotionally <laughs> invested in their characters. Because yeah, the the the. When you're using it, a creature like this, the mortality rate of your group is going to go up. If you have one of yeah. those tables that where no one ever dies, don't use this monster. 
Because if you're using them correctly, someone's, someone's going it. to die. And it's not going to be it's not going to be a dignified death. You know, no. it's not going to be like the last stand of Boromir in the uh, Lord of the Rings, where <laughs> even the toughest of men like they cry. You know, it, it, it's something when you die at the hands of an illithid, players are going to be really upset. Yes, yes, and and you don't even have to suck their brains out. They have just through the psionics have a massive cadre of attacks. You know, and we'll get into psionics on another adventure. Uh, another episode, but they have this huge wheelhouse of of skills, talents, powers that they can draw and and use against you. So they could be crushing the complete will and mind of one. They could be physically crushing the head of another, uh, and you know, screaming into another's head, "I'll be feeding on you next." Uh, meanwhile, several of your attacks are bouncing off their psychic aura and armor, uh, they are massively formidable, even if without even dealing with the mouth and tentacles. Yeah, if if I'm running an illicit villain, I'm sucking some brains out. That's 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 like going to Fenway Park and not having a Fenway Frank. Yeah. You know, you, you leave you're gonna leave and go, you know what, man? I had peanuts when I could have had a Fenway Frank. You know, I was in I was in that I, spot. I don't care if it costs eleven dollars. Yep. You gotta have a Fenway yeah. Frank. I'm I'm gonna have a Fenway Frank and I'm gonna suck some brains out of some PCs if I'm running <laughs> running an illithid. Now see like as I'm caving as, heads in. As Lou pointed out, I can be completely heartless. Um, there are times when I sit in the game master's chair and I will keep my conscience, morals and feelings in the little dice box and set it off to the side and I wasn't I, aware you had any of those. Well, that's because they spend most of their time in a dice box where no one can see them. <laughs> that's why I'm a manager at work. <laughs> I get lots of practice. But, uh, yeah, if I'm going to go at the table with one of these things, be scared of both the monster yeah. and me because I, I will embrace this creature. And uh, if I go, and I will be going for a TPK. And, and other, other DMs, really, you, you should, if you're going to use something like, like this, embrace it. And just... Just embrace it and 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 use these illithids as as they were meant meant to be. You you may or may not end up with a TPK. You may have a really well prepared party. We never do, but you might. <laughs> and and you could end up with minimal casualties, or you could have just an epic battle that people are going to remember, not just because everybody died, but because it was it was epic. You know, it was, it was big. It was mortal. It was, you know, a nail biter. You know, when your players are biting their nails down to the last knuckle on their finger, you know, that's that's a good battle. Yes. Now, now I'm not suggesting you go out and try to TPK your your party and whip an elephant out every other week because you just want to kill them off. All right. This this is the culmination of a of a large scenario that has gone on for a good long time. This is the big bad boss of bosses this is this is one of the big bads this is like trying to run up, run up against a beholder a beholder played correctly is nearly unstoppable these are as bad if not worse because they're considerably more intelligent with not just the spell like abilities the psionics but the physical power of them as well so you know if you're going to use them go ahead and use them just be aware that you may not have uh, some people on your table liking you for a week or two. You might get lynched. Well, I could see using this in a one-shot and telling you guys, you may live and you may die. This is our two-day one-shot game. 
it, this is what you expect. So I can see. Yeah, you, you come that. right out and said, okay, the, <clears throat> unlike some of the other games, there is a substantial chance of mortality in this particular game. So just be aware. Don't Obviously, you don't want to tip your hat. No, but, but once people know, hey, yeah, this is a game this, that we may this not This is going to run for a while. No and, one's going to be upset. Yeah, there's something that some of you will not survive. Yeah, Lou brings up a really good point because then that could actually be really fun. Yeah. You know, especially if, like Lou said, you were you were kind of wrapping it all up on, on Halloween and, you know, you, you play a one-shot for four game sessions and the end is a battle with an illithid. And uh, you you've laid it all out there for everybody, so they're not they're not expecting that they're going to um, they're going to make it out. And if they do, it's kind of cool. Yep. And you're gonna have you're gonna have a good time. That's really what the game is about, right? Well, the, and the them knowing that there there is going to be a certain amount of death involved, yeah, will also ramp up the drama, where you don't every encounter might be that encounter. So you're not too sure. You're not too sure. Yeah, you know, just all right. Is this the encounter where someone's going to die? Once you get to the illithid part of it, they'll know that that's the encounter. Yeah, they'll know that that's it. <laughs> It'll be obvious. So, in conclusion, the illithids. This is the big bad of all big bads. If you're going to throw them out there, embrace them 100. percent Warn or don't warn your party. It's going to be big. It's going to be nasty. Describe them as best you can. And if you get terror in their eyes, you've done your job. Let's go eat, lose brains now. Brains. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.